Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. If you have your Bibles, Revelation 22, 6 through 21, or 22, I should say, will be uh, our verses. And now that we're in this last passage, what you're going to see now is we've reached the end and there's a call to action. There's a call to be responsible for what you have heard. We've been studying this. Think about this. It took us a year and a half to go through the book of Revelation. And that's why a lot of people don't attempt it and they don't want to deal with it. And now at the end of it, there's a responsibility attached to it. It's a book like none other book in the scriptures. It's a book of blessing. There's seven beatitudes in there that if you read it, study it, hear it, and obey it, you'll be blessed. There's no other book that promises that, by the way. And then this book also calls us to do a particular action that a lot of Christians are not aware of that you're going to see in the text today. And we'll talk about that and explore that. But because of this call to action, what it means is this, is that we studied this not to satisfy our curiosity about the future. We didn't study this to be entertaining. We didn't study it to walk away and say, well, that's nice. We've studied it for a year and a half, and now we're on to something else. No, this is the end of the Bible. And you'll see that it brings a heavy weight of responsibility, And I think that now that we've went through it for a year and a half, and now we're at the end of it, I think you now see that we're closer than we've ever been in terms of all the things the Bible predicts is going to happen in the world. We're seeing things play themselves out, and a lot of Christians do not realize the war they're in. They don't realize the crisis that's at hand. They don't understand that we're under threat at least in America, spiritually. The hour is far advanced. If you haven't noticed, our country is divided. We're at the mentality of civil war types of mentality with some of these people that are trying to undermine the United States. The battle is at your doorstep, and a lot of Christians don't realize it. And if they do realize it, they're hunkering down, they're running, pretending it's not happening, But there are two opposing worldviews going on in America and going on around the world. The first one has been permeated through American culture for the last 70 years. It's what we call the cosmic new age secular humanism seen through what's called neo-Marxism versus Judeo-Christian ethics. And this cosmic new age secularism, which is in the form of neo-Marxism, is trying to get us to a global state versus the Judeo-Christian ethic that's trying to prevent that, trying to be salt and light, trying to prevent the immorality that we're starting to see. But folks, ask yourself, are we winning the battle here in America? I don't think so. We have lost. So buckle up. I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but the book of Revelation is telling you where this is all going. And a lot of Christians are just out to lunch on this. See, what we're seeing now in our country is an inversion of truth. This is what the book of Revelation is telling us. This inversion of truth is predicted, which means that everything gets turned upside down. Everything is changed from being good to bad, bad to good, 
Right is wrong and wrong is right now. Everything's inverted. That's what's happening in our culture. And they're winning in doing this. They're successful through our public schools and colleges and universities. They're successful in our media. They're successful in our politics. And we have a fight on our hands. And what is the church doing? The church in America is navel-gazing. That's all they're doing. Very few churches get it. Very few Christians get it. We're not handling it well. We're in the fog of war. We don't realize we're in something. Thousands of Christians are leaving every year in America to apostasy. Thousands. Thousands of Christians are leaving attendances in churches. Talk to somebody on the street. Ask them when's the last time they've been to church. It'll be years sometimes, months. We're losing a lot of people. So Christians are just MIA on this. And we're in a war? Yeah. The churches are part of the problem. A lot of the churches are in silent compliance. They're backing out of society, not engaged, not engaged in the culture war, not standing for the truth anymore, accommodating everything, not contending for the faith, pretending it's not existing. And unfortunately, in my industry, and I hate to tell you this, guys, the pastors about, I would say, I don't know, 80 to 90% of the pastors are just gutless wonders. Just gutless. Just useless. What I want to tell a lot of pastors in my industry, and I can talk like this because I am a pastor, you guys need to either retire or go sell insurance, but get out of the pulpit. It's no joke, man. They're just wimps, spiritual wimps. There's about 10 to 20% of the pastors are worth their weight in gold, no doubt about it, man. And they're spread out through our country, but the rest of them are useless, man. And there's been books written on that. This is not just me pontificating. There's books written on this, like the feminization of Christianity or why men hate church. And it has to do with these spineless squids in the pulpit that won't say what's happening. Won't teach the book of Revelation. Refuse to do that because they don't want to get too controversial. But anyway, that's the current problem. You already know this. The churches are failing. The pastors are failing. And we're at war. And we're losing the war. Doesn't mean we're not going to see God in control of things. He is in control of things. This is what he's doing. He's allowing this to happen. But you're going to see your country just completely transform if something doesn't stop this. And you must then be prepared for persecution coming your way. Whether that's soft, whether that's legal, or eventually hard. We're seeing this all over the place. In America, Facebook just banned Dr. Franklin Graham for a couple days until they got a lot of backlash, but they're banning him. And they're censoring people. And we're starting to see weird things. The cake people are now being charged again. It just doesn't stop. They're not going away. And a lot of Christians are just shrugging their shoulders. Well, it's not affecting me personally. It's going to. That's what the book of Revelation is trying to tell you. This is where it's going. You must prepare for this. And so to us, it's a call of action. It's a call to responsibility. What does God expect of me now that I've studied the book of Revelation for an entire year and a half? Here's what you're going to see. He's going to tell you, get in the game. Start working. Start being about your father's business. Quit sitting on the sidelines being passive. Now, I know I'm speaking to the choir, but think of how many Christians are now checked out. 
They are not engaged in the culture. They're not fighting the culture war, and they're part of the problem. They are so riddled with worldliness. They are so riddled with their own baggage that they can't see past their baggage to go serve, to do what God has called them to do. Their baggage prevents them from serving. And this call to action by the book of Revelation is like no other call of action in any New Testament book. You'll never see anything like this other than in the book of Revelation. So it's a call to action. And so let's see what this call of action is trying to say. It starts in verse 6, chapter 22. It says this, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. Now why does he say that? Well, you think, okay, he's faithful and true. I believe everything Jesus is saying. But yes, there's an application in this, and you have to understand what he's trying to get at. What the book of Revelation has taught us is that in the future, and by the way, we're in the future now. We're here. It's not in 10, 20 years. In the future, it's talking from John's day, there's going to be multiple voices speaking to you. Speaking to you about the culture, speaking to you about morality, and you must discern what is the true voice. My sheep hear my voice. You must understand what the shepherd is saying to us. You must know his word. This is why knowing the book of Revelation is integral to knowing what's going on around you. You have to see it because he's predicted this. Because what's going to happen is these multiple voices are going to come into your mind and speak different things. They're going to tell you it's the truth, but it's not. They're going to say one day, and we're not going to be here for this, but they're going to tell people that this one guy is God manifest on the earth. It'll be the Antichrist. The false prophets will be all over the place, including the false prophet. If he's alive now, he ought to take note on the Pope, because boy howdy, that guy sure looks like one. Wow. But nonetheless, there's going to be all these voices. Who can you trust? Well, you're going to be able to trust the scriptures. You're going to be able to trust the Holy Spirit. And here's the deal. On the second level, under the scriptures and Holy Spirit, on that first level, you better know who interprets the Bible correctly. Just because they have pastor in front of their name doesn't mean they interpret the scriptures correctly. You have to have good resources in the days that we're living in. You can't trust the news, right? You can't trust them. You better have alternative news sites that you can trust. If you do, great, you're ahead of the game. Most Christians don't know where to get their news. Most Christians think listening to Joel Olstein is going deep. Yeah, serious, man. They don't even know he's a false teacher. And so they don't know what voices are legit and what are not. That's what the book of Revelation is trying to prevent us from doing, is listening to all these voices, because it predicts apostasy. The church will apostatize at the end, and there will only be a Philadelphia remnant that you can listen to. So that's why he says these words are faithful and true. They won't lead you astray. These types of individuals will properly interpret the word of God. And I can tell you where the debate is. The debate is whether or not to take the book of Revelation in an allegorical or spiritualized sense, symbolic, versus a literal sense. And I don't know how you read it any other way than literal. Not wooden literal, but if it says the Antichrist is coming, he's coming. It's not some symbol of evil. He's real. 
He might be alive today. I don't know. When it says a one world government will form, that's not symbolic. So that's where the debate is. So if you listen to a pastor on a podcast or on TV who, number one, doesn't teach the book of Revelation, number two, spiritualizes the whole book, run. He's not legit. That's what he's saying these words are faithful and true. So what does he say? And the Lord God of the holy prophets, this is the living one, Yahweh, and he's equating Jesus with Yahweh in the text, sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Now, interesting to show his servants. That's the doulon, the doulos. That is the bond servants. Now, interesting enough, it uses that word. It doesn't say it shows the saints in general. It says, I come to show my doulosses what I'm about to do. That's parsing out even Christians. Because some Christians, as you know, are checked out. They, are, they got their fire insurance, but they haven't grown an inch since they got saved. But nonetheless, they're checked out. They're not bond servants. They're not do losses. He's saying, I'm showing you this for my do losses. The ones who are intent in understanding the scriptures and look forward to my coming. And those Christians get a crown of righteousness because of that forward looking to of the Messiah to return. Most Christians are not looking for his return. Most Christians are too busy having a good life now. Thanks to Joel Olstein and Rick Warren and Bill Hybels and all those guys. So the message is, he who has an ear, let him hear. It's to the do-losses. Are you a do-loss? Then the message is for you. Not the mamby-pamby, spineless, wimp Christians that are out there. It's for the do-losses. Those who are serious about their walk. Which must shortly take place. The idea in Greek is in tacos. It's where we get the word tachometer. It's the idea is that these things that are going to take place will take place that once they begin, it will happen rapidly. It will not be spread over thousands of years. In fact, when we know from the book of Revelation, it happens in a seven-year time frame, very short. So when the things start happening, it'll happen real fast. And then he says in verse 7, behold, I come quickly. It's the same word in Greek, taku. And the idea here is, again, once he comes back, Things start happening rapidly, but it also indicates imminency, that he's coming at a time that you don't know. He could come tonight. He can come today and rapture us home like a thief in the night. And so you have this twofold idea of a rapture that could come back for us. And then once he does, all these events that are predicted will start happening very rapidly. And then eventually our goal is to go home with him before it gets too bad. Now, here's the deal. We are promised the rapture. We're only promised to be raptured prior to the tribulation. We're not promised to escape the buildup to it. So we can see a lot of things in our lives. And that's what we learned in the book of Revelation. That You could see Gog of Magog invasion. You could see Psalm 83. You could see the return of Elijah. You could see the formation of the one world government and the one world currency. Well, if I'm only promised a tribulation and I'm going to see these buildings, it's possible you're going to see America, if we're not raptured, change and go global one day if the rapture doesn't happen. Because that's where it's going. The players of Gog, of Magog, are already aligned. They're already doing business together. This whole move of Trump moving out of the Middle East, and I've heard different talking heads talk about what's good, it's bad, it's good, it's bad. Here's what I know, this. It's creating the alignment even stronger with Turkey, Russia, and Iran. 
using Syria as a proxy state to eventually attack Israel. And I know what's predicted about Sheba and Dedan, Saudi Arabia, who we're now in alignment with and we're chummies with, and the young lions of Tarshish, which includes us. We are a no intervention in the Middle East type of mentality. We get out of it. We don't want anything to do with it. And we let Israel fight their war by themselves. So no matter what happens, whatever you think about pulling the troops out of Syria, it's still heading in that direction. And it's pushing it even further in that direction. So everything's matching up. The players are named. That's how close we are. We could see that. Or we could be gone tonight. I don't know. But that's where the imminency, I come quickly, comes from. He says this in the text, and this is a beatitude. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. That right there is the key passage, I believe, in the book of Revelation. Is the key passage, is the, for the call of action. This is where the call of action is, is where the application comes from. It's the word guard the prophecy of this book. Guard the prophecy. So it's more than just hearing it. It's more than just obeying it. It's actually a call to guard revelation prophecy. Why? Why is this the only book it ever says? It doesn't say guard Matthew. It doesn't say guard Philippians or 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. It only says, do losses, guard this book, protect it. What is the difference between the book of Revelation and the rest of the 26, 27 total, but other 26 books of the New Testament? Why is the 27th book called on to guard? Let me give you some history, and then we'll bring it into today. The book of Revelation is the most neglected book of the Bible. It has been the most neglected book in all 2,000 years of the church. It is the one that's been neglected. If you read church history, there was a lot of controversy. Not in the early church. The early church, first, second, even third century, All the believers accepted the book of Revelation as coming from the apostle John, son of Zebedee, and said it's part of the canon. But then what happened later on, the infiltration of Greek thought came into the church and brought an allegorization and spiritualization into the theology from the school of Alexandria. And when that started, controversy started hitting. And one of the controversies had to do with how to interpret the book of Revelation. And so these Greek thoughts that came into the text said, look, this is too Jewish of a book. We don't want to interpret it literally because that's too Jewish. We don't accept a thousand years that Jesus will reign and rule from David's throne. We see this more as an allegory. We see this more in a spiritual sense that a thousand years doesn't mean a thousand years. And so the controversy came because they said it's too Jewish. We don't accept the literalness of it. And because we don't, we don't want to accept it into the canon. And so believe it or not, The book of Revelation suffered rejection from Gentile theologians who didn't like the Jewishness of it and didn't like the literalness of it. It's the same problem we're having today. The book of Revelation is thoroughly Jewish because it's about the Jews. It's about the nation of Israel, and it is thoroughly literal. Same problem we're having today. 
Now, this mentality carried through to Augustine. Augustine caused a lot of our theological problems. Hang with me because I'm giving you some church history. I know it's tough sometimes. But Augustine is the problem behind Calvinism. He's the problem behind amillennialism that doesn't believe in a millennial reign. He's the problem behind the push of the allegory method of interpretation. And we are still dealing with Augustine's problems today. And by the way, the reformers were no better. The reformers, like Calvin, Zwingli, Luther, could not stand the book of Revelation. Do you want to hear what Martin Luther said about the book of Revelation? Let me read this for you. 1522. My mind cannot use itself to the book. And to me, the fact that Christ is neither taught nor recognized in it is good and sufficient cause for my low estimation. He didn't like the book of James either, by the way. They didn't want to put it in the canon. They didn't want it to be in their Bible. Calvin and Zwingli, same way. That's why they never wrote commentaries on it. They did not like the book of Revelation. Because why? There were nothing but ex-priests from the Catholic Church who were influenced by Augustine. That's why in Reformed churches today, like Presbyterian churches or any church that has the name Grace in front of it, those are Reformed churches. They will not study the book of Revelation, nor will they teach it. You will never hear them darken the door. You will never hear them say, turn to Revelation chapter 1. You will never hear them say that. Because in the Reformed theology, the book of Revelation is relegated to second-class status. That's why the majority of churches don't teach it. They're influenced by the Reformed theology of the Reformers, which is nothing more than Catholic Augustinian theology. I know that's probably more than what you want to know, but you need to understand why it says guard this book. It's the most unprotected book ever in church history. Now let's bring it to today. The battle now is not the inclusion into the canon, which came late, about 397, 396 AD. It got included into the canon because of the opposition of the allegorization and spiritualization theologians. Today, it's accepted as part of canon, but here's the problem. The battle rages between its interpretation, whether it's allegory or symbolic versus literal. That's where the battle is today. And again, the majority of pastors are going to see it allegorical or simply are ignorant of it and simply won't teach it. If you ever have to leave Bakersfield and you have to go find a church, the first thing I would ask that pastor, when's the last time you taught the book of Revelation? When's the last time you taught Daniel? If that guy can't tell you when, there's a problem. That's a red flag. Either he's too ignorant or he does not want to teach it because of the implications. I understand the implications. You must understand this. This teaching the book of Revelation doesn't come without its wounds. We have lost families in our church because of this book. They have left our church because of that book, because they don't like my interpretation. They don't like the literalness of it. They don't like the Jewishness of it. And so they have left. Doesn't bother me because I know the minute I start in the book of Revelation, it thins out the crowd. I get it. And this is why it's not taught in most churches, because it starts thinning people out. They get offended. They don't like it. It's scary. Why would you be scared? It's not, we're not even there. But here's the point. They're not going to teach it at their churches because they don't want to lose nickels and noses. That's what it's about. They don't want to lose their crowd. 
They want to fill the house and tell people you can have your best day. But Revelation says the judgment is coming. The king is coming back. They don't like that message. That message doesn't sell too well in a book, by the way. So what's happening now? Let me go to a spiritual level and understand, because this is the key text. It's not so much even human beings that we have to guard it from. We have to guard it from the satanic, demonic world. They're working overtime right now to silence this book. They do not want it taught. You know why? It teaches us what God is going to allow to happen. So this is interesting. There have been guys who work for the CIA and FBI who listen to Christians who teach prophecy, and they say, how do you have that kind of information? You have intelligence, and I'm talking not IQ, but intelligent information that most high security, high intelligence security agents with high clearances, you know more than they do. Because you know why? The God of the universe gave me the information. I know what's going to happen with Russia, Iran, and Turkey. I know what's going to happen to Israel, and so do you, because God has unveiled it. But they're so ignorant, they won't even pick up a Bible and read the Bible and says, this is what it says. So they say, how do you guys have high security clearances and know all this information? Well, we don't. We have the Bible. Isn't that amazing that someone in the CIA or FBI would claim that you and I know more than someone in national security? That's why the devil doesn't want people knowing this book. There's a satanic attack towards the book. He doesn't want it taught. It spells his doom. It spells how this is all going to go down. And it spells out the return of the Messiah. I laugh at Martin Luther saying the book doesn't teach about Jesus. The name Revelation means apocalypse, which means the unveiling of the Messiah. How did he miss that one? The whole thing is about Jesus. And Martin Luther rejected it? Come on, man. And so the issue is you have to see it's a spiritual issue. There's a spiritual battle to prevent the book of Revelation. This is why your mainstream churches are not teaching this. And you're going to have to find it in pockets here and there. It's amazing. But it's true. It's happening. So what do you know? Well, here's the thing that you know more than the average bearer knows. You know that the governments of the world are going to clump up and become a one-world government. You already know that. It's not a conspiracy, but they're staying it now. You know that they're using uh, man-made global warming to do a global tax. You know that already. You know what the Arab Spring was about. It's to create an environment in the Middle East that comes against Israel. You know what Obama did with this Iran nuclear program. You know where this heads. You know where it set things up. You know we're going to a one-world religion. You see it now. You know the one-world economic system is coming, that your dollar eventually is going to die, and you're going to have to go on to another stage. And by the way, that explains why politicians continue to collapse our economy. It's the Cloward and Piven strategy. Collapse the economy, we'll have a new one. It'll be a global one, and you will beg for it. Because you won't have your dollar. All your money in your bank account will be nothing if this happens. How do you pay for all the things we're paying for? Just print more money so we can have hyperinflation? So you can take wheelbarrows like they were doing in Germany of money to, uh, to buy a, a loaf of bread? That's what your money is going to turn into unless they change you over to a global currency. That's where it's going. You know that. But out there they don't know it. 
don't take that for granted. You know the coming upon. The church doesn't end in glory. It ends in failure, in apostasy. You're aware that you're supposed to support Israel and the Jewish people. What's the world becoming? Anti-Semitic. Think about this. The book of Revelation helps you to think correctly. People don't pick up on this, but here's the deal. The book of Revelation is making you think holistically as far as all the categories are concerned. You're like, okay, explain this. In the book of Revelation, it's teaching you, you must think economically, you must think politically, you must think religiously. Those are the three areas of the Whore of Babylon, okay? These are the system markers of the Antichrist. So when people say, I don't know why Brandon talks about politics so much. I don't know why Brandon talks about economy so much. Because it's part of the book of Revelation. If your pastor doesn't talk religion, economics, politics, then he's not touching on the whore of Babylon. She is affecting all these areas. And the Bible is saying, you must understand all these categories. And not think compartmental. Well, it's just about Christianity on Sunday and the rest of the week I don't think about economics, politics, or anything else. That's not how you're supposed to deal with life. You're supposed to have a worldview. You must understand what's happening economically. You must understand what's happening politically. If you don't, you're putting blinders on yourself to the whore of Babylon and the future one world government. That's not what's happening in our public schools. They're teaching kids to do groupthink. If you send your kids to public school, you must understand group consensus is the model of how they keep these kids thinking. They don't want them thinking individually because the book of Revelation says, I want you to think individually, not group think. Because what is it predicting? It is predicting a massive group think for the Antichrist. A massive group think as far as forcing authority on other people who will not obey the Antichrist and, say, and he just kills them. Or the whore of Babylon kills them because they're not in group think. What's happening in the public schools? Just, just as an example, the kids are taught consensus thinking. So everybody's got to have the same idea. And then when you have a consensus, you have authority. And that authority then backs up your craziness. For instance, if a kid says, I, he was born a boy, and he says, I feel like I'm a girl now. Well, what's the group think? Right? And what's the group consensus? So then he has the power of group consensus and group think. Then if you disagree with group think, individual, book of Revelation, I'm thinking for myself. If you say, that's wrong, that's crazy, what does the group do to you? Attacks you, right? That's coming from the book of Revelation. It's teaching the ultimate group think with the whore of Babylon and the Antichrist. And right now, what's going on in our academics Public school, high school, universities, all that is group consensus thinking. And if you disagree with the group, you're a hater, you're a bigot, and we're going to attack you. We're going to shut you down. You're seeing the markings of the whore of Babylon. So that's when I say when the book of Revelation causes you to think correctly, yes, that's what we're talking about. We're going against something that's so beyond us. It's satanic. It's huge. But many Christians are not guarding this. They're just not doing it. So what, what do I mean by this? The guarding of this means that you protect what the book of Revelation says. 
If it says an Antichrist is coming, you believe it and you guard that. Do not let anyone tell you it's some nebulous evil. If it tells you a one world government is coming, guard that. If it's telling you a one world religion is coming, guard that. Don't let any other voice tell you anything different. Well, it's not that because what's going to happen is false prophets are going to rise and tell you all kinds of crazy stuff. All you have to do is go on YouTube, right? All you have to do is go on YouTube. And you have these nut jobs on YouTube telling you that Revelation 12 is some astrology thing in the sky, the alignments of planets, and Jesus is coming back tonight. Or you got Harold Campy predicting that the rapture is going to happen, and he's dead, and it didn't happen. And you have all these other voices who are telling you the wrong things. That's what he's saying. Guard this. Protect it. Understand that this is going to be attacked. You're a steward of it. Here's the deal. If you have been with me for the last year and a half and you've went through the book of Revelation, you're now a steward of it. It's your responsibility now. I fulfilled my responsibility now. I taught you it. I did the best I could. Now, the ball is now in your court. This is how this guarding works. I did my part. Now you must do your part. You must guard it. Protect it. With that being the case, remember that what you're up against is a street fighter. Please understand me. You will have to guard it from the ultimate street fighter. And what I mean by that is, do you understand the difference between going to a boxing ring where there's rules and there's a referee versus fighting some crazy dude that skins cats for a living out on the street? who's drunk, the street fighter is another ball game because you know what? He doesn't have any rules of engagement and he will do everything to take you down versus being in a regular boxing match with rules. The person that you're dealing with is a street fighter. His name is Lucifer and he doesn't play fair. So what he's going to do is street fight you and you're going to say, foul, I don't like that. He's not playing by the rules And the devil is going to laugh at you and he says, I'm going to keep going after you until you stop guarding this book. Now you think, well, how is that ever going to play out in my life? Well, let's let's do it this way. This is because he doesn't play fair. He'll hit you below the belt. He will use your family against you. He'll use someone that you love that's dear to you. And that person that you love will oppose you guarding the book of Revelation. They will challenge your views on prophecy. They will challenge what you're saying. They'll call you a tinfoil nut job. They'll say you're out of control. That's cultic. That's this. That's that. And it might even be your own kid. It might even be your own parents, siblings, or whatever. But that's how he usually plays. He uses other humans' weaknesses against you to see if you will give up the guard. See if you will let it go. Hey, you know what, Brandon? You're very pro-Israel, man. You know, but Israel does a lot of bad things, man. Don't you take that into account and all this. You just can't just blanket them. Uh, I know where you're going with this. You're trying to get my, my guard down, aren't you? Again, I don't agree with everything that Israel does politically, but I have to support the Jewish people and I support the Israel nation to their land in the story. But they're going to get you to say, you know what, the Jews are really not, they're really not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're going to push you on that issue. 
Then they're going to push you on this tolerance issue. Well, you know what? You know, this narrow-mindedness that you guys, you know, we need to have interfaith dialogues with Muslims because they worship God too, and they like Jesus too. And, and so, you know, why don't you sit down and across the table and have an interfaith dialogue with them, Brandon? You must be some intolerant religious bigot. Right, because Allah is the moon god. He is not Yahweh, and their Jesus is our false prophet. How do you like that one? Now, I'm not going to sit down and have an interfaith dialogue. You see, that's how the game's played. Well, Brandon, you just seem so intolerant, and gosh, you're not going to have any friends. So be it. So be it. And if your family abandons you on these issues, all the issues in the book of Revelation, by the way, morality, everything's there. So be it. You must guard this. You, it's your stewardship. You're going to be asked, did you guard the book of Revelation? That's a tough one, man. Let's go back to the scriptures, verse 8. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Second time it happened to John, by the way. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and your brethren, the prophets, and those who keep guard the words of this book. Worship God. Now why did John do this twice? I think it's clear what's happening here. It comes right after the command to guard the book of Revelation. And yet, the next verse shows you John worshiping an angel. He's done this twice, by the way. He's done this twice. Again, let's review who John is. This is the son of Zebedee. This is one of the disciples. This is the closest of the disciples with Messiah. He is his best friend. Okay? And yet his best friend, the one who loved Jesus the most, is worshiping an angel twice. What's that about? Yet it comes right after the command, guard the book of Revelation. The angel has to say, I'm a fellow guardian of the book. Don't do that. What it's there to show you, it did happen to John. But what it's there to show you is this. That is how easy it is to stop guarding the book of Revelation. That if the apostle John could immediately get this revelation and then turn around and worship an angel, it can happen to you and I. Not that we would worship an angel per se, but that we worship other things. We'd start becoming worldly, start putting other things ahead of Jesus. And the minute you do that, you won't guard the book of Revelation anymore because you're putting other things ahead of God. That's the point, is that it's that easy. And here's the deal. It blankets all of us, including me. If John can do it and make a mistake, you and I can. That's the message. That's scary. Verse 10, and he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. So unlike Daniel, who was told to seal the book of Daniel, because there was going to be a long time until then, it's now told, let it out. Don't do it. Don't seal it up. Let it out. Now, here's the caveat. For the time is at hand. The idea is this. If it says unseal it, it means for you and I as stewards to explain it out. It means to go give it out. Tell people about this. So a lot of people mistake this passage, and they don't understand the implications. And they think, well, you know, it's for John not to seal it. He's supposed to tell us all. It's an admonition to the doulosses. What's the admonition? Yes, we share the gospel, but at the same time, 
you must be sharing prophecy. Because it says, unseal it. Tell people. Get it out. The idea is to get the message out. The church has been doing a horrible job of getting that message out. And so now, it now puts it onto your shoulders of saying, yes, not only tell people the gospel, but you're to use prophecy as a springboard to getting people saved. To use it to show people as an evidence of God that, look, he said it's going to happen. This has happened. Israel's back in the land. All this one world government's forming. It's exactly what is predicted. That is supposed to help you in your evangelism. So you're to use prophecy. And a lot of Christians just simply don't use it. It's part of the game plan. Anyway, he continues on, verse 11. He who is just, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And what this means is that there is no neutrality. Make your decision now is the idea. And that's many times you see that in the Bible. Choose this day who you will serve. So basically it's saying to all humanity and it's even saying to Christians, choose the side you're going to be on right now. Don't wait, don't procrastinate, because you not making the decision puts you in a particular camp. There's no neutrality. So if you choose to reject Jesus, then go hog wild then. Be identified into your sin. Love it, because you will now be identified in it. He who is filthy, you're going to still be filthy. He who is unjust, you're still going to be unjust. Make that decision and then identify it into your identity. If you choose Christ, you will get a new identity, and you will choose to be righteous. That's what he's saying. Choose what you're going to do. Verse 12, behold, I am coming quickly. The idea, same idea, imminently, and when I come, things are going to happen real quick. And my reward is with me. I'm not just coming back for judgment. I'm coming back for my believers, and I'm going to reward them. And he's only going to reward second-mile believers. I gave you a handout in your bulletin. I wanted you to have it. I don't have time to go through all of it. I just wanted you to have it. Rewards are for second-mile believers. You don't get rewards for going to church. You don't get rewards for reading your Bible. You don't get rewards for going to Bible study or anything like that. That's part of your duty. But you do get rewards for second-mile stuff. On the first page, I have, you know, you have the five crowns. You can study them on your own. You have the overcomers. There's 10 Nike. Nike is the word overcomer in Greek. Rewards found in the book of Revelation 2 through 3. Then you have shame bearers based on the degree of shame bearing. Faithful servants, gate privileges, present standards. Those are the doulons based on degree of faithfulness. Loving, confident disciples based on degree of loving other believers. So there's all these these rewards. The backside, he's talking about the tree of life that we'll get to in just a minute, but here's the deal. He'll talk about, I'll give you access to the tree of life. The idea is you get access to the tree of life if you're a doulos who loves God as a characterization of their whole life. Now, I talked about this last week. Not every believer loves God. But here are the things, and I put them in a kind of a a handout thing so you can see all the things that would cause people not to love God. Some of you asked for that in an email, but here it is on a paper you can put in your Bible. So when he says, my reward is with me, it means to us as believers who have actually went the second mile. We'll apply that later on in just a bit. Let's continue on. 
to give to everyone according to his work or what you do, right? Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. This is the idea of Isaiah 44 through 46. It's attaching Jesus to Yahweh in the book of Isaiah. This is interesting. When you look at that phrase, first and the last, it's, it, again, Isaiah uses the term. It's a reference to the God of Israel, the rock of Israel. And it says this, I am the Lord, there is no other. There is no other God other than me. Turn to now and be saved is all the message through that, those chapters in Isaiah. Before me, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear to me. Where have we heard that before? It's in Philippians, right? So in those chapters from Isaiah 44 to 46, what John is doing is what's called a remez. He's doing a reminder. This Jesus is the same God Isaiah was talking about. He's the God of Israel. He is the only God of the universe. There is no other God. Now, why would he say that? Because we've come upon the heels of the Antichrist claiming he's, he's God. And so he says, there is no other God. I am the only one, and I'm the God of Israel. Okay, verse 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments. Talking about the losses, That they may have the right to the tree of life. And we talked about that last week, and there you have your list there. Of who, who actually gets access to the tree of life are those who love the Lord the most. They overcame their lack of love. And they entered through the gates into the city. Verse 15, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexual immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices lies. And again, the idea is they're identified by their particular proclivities, their sins, because they didn't accept Messiah. So Messiah in John chapter 8 says, you will die in your sins. You will die identified in your sins. And that's what's happening to these people. By the way, interesting enough, the term dogs in the Old Testament meant male prostitute who was a sodomite, and they were called dogs, and then false teachers in the New Testament are called dogs. So dogs is a broad term for the most abominable types of individuals who would not stop doing what they were doing. They would not come to faith in Messiah, and so they just continued to practice their sin, and God gave them over. It says this in verse 16. I, Jesus, and this is only found in the Bible, have sent my angel to testify to you the things in the churches. Now, this is where the church is now mentioned once again, starting all the way back to Revelation 3, because the church is going to be part of the call out. I am the root and offspring of David. The root means I'm the ancestor of David, and the offspring of David means I'm a descendant of David. How can that be? This is what confused the Pharisees every time he said that. He goes, how can David call his son my Lord? And it confused them. Well, understanding now, Messiah is God, but he's a man. He can be before David because he's God, and he can be a descendant of David because he's human. And that's why he says this, I am the God-man. And then he says, the bright and morning star. The idea, the bright and morning star, it means the Shekinah is related to the Messiah. He's related to Jesus because Jesus is Yahweh. He's the second person of the Trinity. That's why he says, I'm the morning star. Now, here's where we get involved as a church. Verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. There's the invitation. And it's, in the Greek, it's emphatic. Now. Do it now. And let him who hears say, come. Do it now. And let him who thirsts come. 
Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. And again, this is the idea that God wants his family back. God wants humanity back. So that's the question. What does God want? What does he want out of you? What does he want out of me? What does he want out of humanity? It's simple. He wants you. He wants you back. You have left. You're the prodigal son. You left. He wants you back. So when you ask, what does God want me? He wants you. And he is jealous for you. And he is jealous for all of humanity. He lost his family. So if you can understand the, the story of the Bible, he created these creatures, angels first and then humans. He lost his family in the angelic realm of a third of them that left him. And then in the human realm, the majority of the humans left him too. So I want you to think about this in personal terms. Have you ever had family members reject you? Do you see how that feels? You want them back, right? And you know they're not coming back, some of them. That pain of them not coming back because they're too twisted up, too messed up in their head. He gives them that freedom. But God is saying, come, I want you back. I created you. You're a value to me. I don't want you to go to the lake of fire. I don't want you to be identified in your sin. I will give you your choice, but come back. The church says come back. The spirit says come back. I want you back, and I will put you in my family once again, just like the father did in the prodigal son story. Verse 18, for I testify to everyone. Notice everyone. It's not just to believers and unbelievers. It's both. Who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Notice the word anyone, believer or unbeliever. What this means that he'll get the plagues of the book means he'll get wrath. You'll get judgment. For a believer, a believer who adds to the scriptures, adds to the book of Revelation, will get discipline. An unbeliever will get wrath in the next life. So there's a warning about tampering with the book of Revelation. And by the way, there's been a lot of tampering. There's been a lot of people adding stuff. Look at the Mormons. They added a whole mess of things to this. Look at the Jehovah Witnesses. They added a bunch of stuff to this. So anytime they add, they're going to assume wrath. And then he says in verse 19, and if anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life and the holy city and from the things which are written in the book. And again, judgment. Judgment to the unbeliever, loss of rewards to the believer who takes anything away. Here's what I think I'm seeing. I'm seeing a whole mess of churches that may not be adding to the book of Revelation, but they are certainly subtracting from it. And the way they're subtracting from it is they simply don't teach it. They're going to lose rewards for that. I'm not saying they're going to hell because you're saved by faith. This is a rewards issue. If you don't teach the book of Revelation, welcome to a tongue lashing from the Messiah at the Bema seat where he strips you of your rewards. And that's to every pastor that hears this. How dare you not teach a certain book of the Bible? How dare you even admit it? You are going to have to answer to the Messiah for that one, especially the book that reveals his coming. Wow. I wouldn't want to be you, dude. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Same idea. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. In Aramaic, it's Maranatha. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Jesus has the last word in this. I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me. 
And our response as a church, come. Come now. Come take us home. So this whole thing is a call to action, guys. And I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord, but it's a call to stand, contend for the faith, and get busy about what God has called you to do. I don't know what he's called you to do, but the time to sit passive and on the sidelines is now over. You either get busy or you go sit in the corner sucking your thumb because it's not helping us. You got to start doing what he's called you to do. The passive Christianity has made us lose the culture war. We don't have any time for that. You don't have any time for that. What are you going to do? Ask the Lord what he would have you to do. How to be salt and light. Christianity is not just about coming on Sunday, man. It's about 24-7 through the rest of the week. Winston Churchill, back in 1942, I've used this illustration before. I think it's worth talking about. Winston Churchill, during the middle of World War II, the war effort was going on, and Winston Churchill was going around England encouraging all the workers of the factories and different people that were contributing to the war effort for England. And he decided to go to one place where the coal miners were at. I don't know if you've ever heard this story. And a lot of the coal miner owners were there. But again, the coal miners were contributing to the war because the ships and stuff ran on that. So anyway, he decides to go there. And he tells them this. And these are his exact words. We will be victorious. We will preserve our freedom. And years from now, when our freedom is secure, and years from now, when peace reigns, Someday, when children ask, what did you do to win this inheritance for us and to make our name so respected among men? One will say, I was a fighter pilot. Another will say, I was a submarine serviceman. Another will say, I marched with the 8th Army. A fourth will say, none of you could have lived without the convoys and the merchant seamen. Then they will come to you. And you will say, with equal right, and you will say with equal pride, I cut coal. I cut the coal that fueled the ships. I cut the coal that moved the supplies. That's what I did. I cut coal. And the question remains for you and I, the call of action to guard the book of Revelation and to do what we're needing to do to get those rewards that he says, I'm coming back with my rewards. Just like Winston Churchill said, when we're at the Bemis seat and Christ asks you, where were you when the war was going on? Where were you when the church was going in the tank? Where were you when the apostasy was hitting America? Where were you? Do you want to be the believer that says, I was afraid, I was scared, I hunkered down and tried to wait till weather the storm? Do you want to be the believer that says, I was scared, so I sat in the corner sucking my thumb like a baby? Do you want to be that believer? You wicked and lazy servant, he said in Matthew 25, to the one who buried his talent. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be like the guys that were cutting coal. I was cutting coal, so to speak. I was teaching a Sunday school class. I was making coffee. I was evangelizing, Lord. I was driving a trailer for the church. I was doing this while the battle was raging. 
Ah, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the category I want to be in, and I'm sure that's the category you want to be in. Where were you when the battle was raging? That's the call. Because he says this, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. And I will give to anyone who has taken the water of life, and I will reward him for the work he has done. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.